0: About to hear my conversation with our Chief Fixed Income Strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about the Delta variant, how that could impact markets, as well as what to expect from Jackson Hole. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Dustin Reed, who's our fixed income strategist. Dustin, welcome back.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Matt.
0: I thought we'd uh, continue the conversation that we started uh, during the last podcast about the Delta variant. Uh, that seems like it's uh, still gripping markets, still potentially the most important factor when we think about the the pandemic and, and the conclusion uh, and sort of a return to, to reality. Where do you see the Delta variant right now uh, and how do you see it uh, impacting markets?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely a great question and uh, continue to see it impact markets and continue to expect it to Impact markets for uh, the months ahead, maybe even a, a quarter or more. Um, <clears throat> I think you know, the, as we talked about in the last podcast I was on, we we uh, talked about a number of drivers for markets, you know, positioning um, some uh, some recycling of uh, of funds away from high beta type uh, assets into maybe lower beta assets by multi strat and, uh, and balanced portfolio managers. Um, and you know, and a couple other things, including Delta, that's been driving markets. But I think one of the reasons yields uh, remain somewhat artificially low here is, uh, you know, not only because the Fed continues to purchase uh, a large amount of assets on uh, on a monthly basis through its uh, QE program, um, but I think there's clearly a concern within the market about uh, Delta having an impact on uh, global growth and. Uh, and what that might mean for uh, near-term um, near-term uh, bond yields and just risk appetite going forward, um, <clears throat> I think uh, th- there's a there's a few a few ways to look at it here. First, I mean, as as has been the case, I would say for the majority of the pandemic, um, Israel has been uh, a leader globally in terms of uh, its vaccine program, and uh, I would say the the level of Vaccination the vaccination rate, sure, um, and how um, you know, uh, how how the countries behaved, and we and now we're kind of seeing uh, some other interesting data, you know, beyond that. Obviously, Israel was so early this year in terms of getting things done um, in the first quarter that we're you know, kind of past the six month mark for a lot of people, or getting into the six month mark for a lot of people, and there's been some science behind the idea that uh, the efficacy of the vaccine, particularly the Pfizer, the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, um, uh, decline over time. And and perhaps there's a need for a booster um, as you get towards uh, month five or month uh, six. And you're seeing a fair bit of breakthrough cases in Israel, um, and, and they obviously... We're uh, mostly Pfizer, um, the vast majority, I think Pfizer, and you're seeing a fair bit of breakthroughs on people that were uh, and are fully vaccinated, at least with, with two dose regimen, and you know that is uh, obviously first of all disconcerting, and second of all, um, you know, a little bit puzzling because trying to figure out you know what's next. Um, now, now Israel has obviously, uh, for those that haven't seen, instituted a booster program. Uh, I, I believe it's for right now uh, people age 60 and over, uh, but that that may have changed since uh, I last saw news. Um, but regardless, it it's it's, it's it has its to the booster program, and uh, and the U.S. is uh, is close to it as well. Um, with I think the FDA approving a booster program for certain individuals uh, as of uh, mid to late September. Uh, so it hasn't actually started yet, but it looks like that is that is happening. Right. And uh, I think, you know, I think the market is starting to be concerned around, you know, what looking at the Israel story and data and, and trying to figure out what what it means. Clearly, about a month ago, maybe a little bit more, uh, markets I would say started trading off the idea that the world has passed peak growth and uh, kind of needs to settle into a more. Uh, or at least a more a more reasonable or more normalized uh, pace of growth uh going forward which is obviously reasonable kind of coming out of the pandemic with uh with massive growth numbers but now i think the the mark is trying to figure out and uh and settle where um and trying to figure out where you know what this means in terms of an extension of the pandemic and not that we're going to go back to um alpha variant levels from April of this year by any stretch, but but what does it mean? Because I think a lot of people expected the summer to be the end of it, uh, or at least close to the end of it. And I think that for a lot of people now this is going to be seen to be dragging on um, into the fall and maybe maybe even into the winter, right. And you know that's changing kind of the length of it, uh, maybe not the amplitude, but more the more the length um and you know what does it mean for policy what does it mean for earnings uh what does it mean for fiscal what does it mean for jobs you know all those sorts of things so those are kind of some of the things that we at least on the fixed income team um you know think about and how it might impact markets and particularly obviously fixed income and, uh, and foreign exchange um i don't I don't pretend to have all the answers but i think that what it does mean is that at least from a yield perspective, uh, it, it probably means yields are relatively capped, you know, for for most of the, the rest of this year, okay, which cool. is something a little bit different than where I would have been maybe in May or June. I'm sure we talked about it numerous times on this on this podcast. Uh, I still think we can see higher yields this year, nominal yields for sure, um, but I think that uh, the idea of getting to maybe two and a quarter or even two percent in ten year Treasuries while not not impossible is is going to be difficult. And I think that's because um, there's there's a fair bit of concern over um, the, the the delta the delta variant, what might lie next after the delta variant. And uh, I would also say there's um, a little bit of, a, you know, since you and I probably spoke a few weeks ago on this, I would say the the China regulation story, although was was clearly happening and, and brewing at that time. Uh, has taken on uh, probably an added, um, you know, an added driver, and I would say negative driver for for markets and risks, global risk sentiment here. Uh, with uh, you know, uh, China, the Chinese uh, authorities uh, looking at a number of different industries and trying to uh, invoke a, a little bit more on the regulation side there, and that has that's had some impact, obviously on uh, on the China government bonds, sure. on uh, Chinese equities, uh, on the regional equity story. Uh, and so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of concern over China, and uh, will China do um you know kind of be very a little more harsh on the regulatory side, but also uh, be relatively easy on the monetary policy side? We're seeing a lot of mixed commentary on on that as well. So I'd say the the china story is also has also kind of been one of the bigger drivers since uh, you and I last spoke on here. Right. But clearly, the delta story is. Um, you know, significant, and uh, you know the next the next phase of uh, monetary policy, central banking, and fiscal is going to be, uh, I think, be key to see how if we have a bit of a, I wouldn't necessarily call it a reflation trade, but at least the uh, the directionality of what are, what uh, the inflation, sorry, the reflation trade would uh, suggest from a price action perspective, or or not.
0: Interesting. So. Just to, to round things up on the Delta side, um, and then maybe touch on the, the Chinese regulation piece, but on the Delta side, um, so you, you referenced that uh, Israel is looking at a booster. The US uh, potentially uh, or has approved, FDA has approved a booster for a certain segment of people. Are, are you expecting that the the global sort of Uh, Bifurcate into those that have vaccines will encourage sort of boosters. And then those that don't have a a significant amount of vaccines, I think India is fairly constructive on what the Delta variant can do to a population, which is uh, frankly gruesome. Uh, But do you Mm -hmm. think that you see those types of scenarios play out in in emerging markets as we go into late summer and into the fall?
1: It's definitely an issue. I think... Um, You know, and, term, and not being an expert on the on the production side, and contracts, and who's got who's got what, and what type of vaccine per se, because there's a lot of moving parts there. But sure. you know, I've started to see over the last couple of weeks as the as the as the uh, as the increase in conversation has 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 occurred around boosters. Um, you know, which for most means that's a third shot. Right. Um, and, you know, unless you're unless you're J and J in the U.S., which is around 13 or 14 percent, which obviously would be a second. Um, you know, is it fair? Is it morally just to have uh, people receiving a third shot while people in a number of countries, you know, might be struggling to get one, uh, maybe two? Uh, and you know, and there's obviously then a kind of a second question as to you know, so some vaccines seem to be a little bit have a little bit stronger protection than others. Let's right. say. So, you know, that is a, that is a discussion that's going to come up. I suspect it's going to come up. It might even come up this week at the G7, a G7 Mm -hmm. call that they're having on uh, Afghanistan. But I think the G20 is probably the, the forum for those type, that type of discussion to uh, at at least occur. Uh, I don't know what, I don't know what kind of, uh, conclusion would come of that, sure. but I think it probably needs to get elevated to a G twenty type uh, G twenty type uh, meeting to uh, you know figure out what's going on. And I mean, clearly there are a lot of vaccine doses available globally, and it's now a question of you know distribution, uh, and, and there are obviously logistics uh, associated with that distribution with sure. respect to uh, keeping them uh, at a certain temperature, etc. Um, so. You know, it could have it could have a market impact uh, as well. Um, you know, there we already flagged a, a couple months ago a couple of uh, Asia economies that we thought were a little bit uh, a little bit at risk given a few things: geography, uh, the type of vaccine, the uh, the, the the vaccine rate, um, and, and what might happen, particularly within the FX, uh, the currency. Um, you know, the currencies of those economies. And we, we definitely saw a bit of a, a bit of a move in, in most of those, particularly Thailand, I would say. But yeah, I, I think to your question, I think it's, I think it's a very good one in, insofar as, you know, we could see other EMs that are lagging. Um, and, and if there's a Delta and it's, you know, continues to become worse or Delta plus or the Lambda, right. Which, which, which could be also very serious, um, version of the virus, if the Lambda version uh, ends up, ends up becoming a, a a significant strain or a dominant strain, I mean, that will be, um, you know, that'll, that'll be, that'll be significant. um, And obviously the Lambda version is, uh, is, uh, has started in, in Peru in, in, in South America. So, you know, that would be presumably at, you know, at, at serious risk. So, yeah, I think, you know, the EM story remains, remains tentative. You know, we do not like, you know, like I was kind of referencing a few minutes ago, don't see yields you know, moving significantly higher. Right. I guess it depends how you want to define significant, but I think yields are going to keep in check here. Where where, where uh, EM could be in a little bit of a uh, challenge just from a, a big macro perspective is obviously the dollar story where we've been relatively constructive, particularly going into the uh, July FOMC and coming out. And you've seen DXY, the dollar index hit um, multi-quarter highs here. Right. Um, in the last little bit, so that's been directionally okay. Uh, but EMs typically uh, don't do well, particularly uh, EM local local currency and local debt don't do well when the U.S. dollar is uh, is outperforming, which it is. And I think that um, I think that there are a few ingredients in, in, in place here to, to keep the dollar rally going. Um, although the move has been pretty pretty strong, pretty quickly and. Seen a pretty big move in positioning, which usually means we need a bit of a clear up before the next leg higher. But broadly speaking, you know, we like EM, but I would say it's a little bit more on the um, you know capturing a yield side, or you know, right. as we say, cl- clipping coupons, as opposed to uh, as opposed to like as opposed to the asset price uh, right. you know side of it. Uh, but there's definitely um, there's definitely in, in a world of very low yields and the search for yield. There's definitely room in, I would say, almost any portfolio for a little bit of EM. So there is still, there are still, you know, the real yielders that we like, you know, particularly like Mexico, um, Russia, um, Brazil, to a point where that offer relatively high, um, high real yields are, are still of interest uh, to us. Keeping in mind, there's always excessive risk or at least additional risk with EMs, and uh, every every EM economy has its own story and. Sure. Uh, And obviously, its own its own risks, whether it's political commodity or otherwise.
0: Great. Uh, Well, maybe we'll transition. You you referenced uh, briefly the G seven, and and uh, meeting. Uh, I know Jackson Hole uh, also happens later on this week. Um, I recall in the spring uh, we uh, talked about Jackson Hole perhaps being a uh, a very important meeting on tapering and and uh, and getting some foresight into potential rate increases. Doesn't sound like that uh, as much now. Why don't you take me through what you're thinking uh, at Jackson Hole? What can we look forward to?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I would say in May and June, we were uh, very focused on Jackson Hole as a potential announcement venue for something serious. Um, It's happened before, not every year. Uh, Last year was the announcement for the average inflation targeting by the Fed so that was right. a you know that was a very very significant announcement um obviously a little bit that's a little bit more academic um although clearly it's it's a very important part of the policy framework the inflation policy uh, policy framework to be sure uh but the the it, it it seems that for a couple of reasons i would say one the labor market in the US probably didn't evolve as quickly as many, not most, but I'd say many on the Fed uh, thought over the summer, June, July, and August. And um, and we started to see, again, not everybody, but a number of key people at the Fed, particularly out of DC on the, on the governor's side uh, in July, talk about the idea of um, meetings. We need to see a few mm-hmm. more uh, employment prints, plural, or, uh, you know, and this will take a few more meetings, plural. And that to me suggested that, um, you know, we were looking at September at the earliest, uh, but maybe even going into, into the November meeting. There's no October meeting this year, uh, the November meeting to actually see an announcement. And Jackson Hole is obviously, it can be a very important venue, like I was mentioning for the uh, the average inflation targeting last year. But it is very academic and it technically is, I mean, it depends how you want to define meeting, but it's technically not an FOMC meeting. It's not, it's not a meeting. It's put on by the Kansas City Fed. Right. Um, You know, it's in, it's in Wyoming, which is part of uh, the Kansas City Fed's uh, territory. And, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of international, um, you know, bankers, central bankers that are, that are there as well, uh, presenting papers, academic literature, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, it, it's a very important get together. I don't want to diminish it, uh, in any way. Uh, but, uh, thinking about it more and then looking at what a number of key people were saying, it looked, uh, apparent to us that, and this is not necessarily new in the last week. This was apparent to us maybe I would say a month ago or so that, uh, Jackson Hole wasn't necessarily going to turn out to be the, you know, the big, the big announcement uh, venue. That said, all that said, I think that uh, a couple of things are, are worth keeping in mind. One, I think this Fed wants to continue to taper unless something really goes off the rails. And I think that, you know, as we saw at the July FOMC, the the Fed's interested in moving the ball forward, uh, you know, slowly. And I think that that will be the case with Powell's speech uh, at Jackson Hole. So I expect. The Fed to continue moving the moving the ball towards uh, a tapering scenario. Excuse me, it's a tapering scenario for later this year, um, and I think that's that's a part of it, but maybe not all of it. And uh, and to somewhat circle back to where we started off this conversation, the market dynamic I think has changed in the last week or so away from expecting something uh, in terms of uh, taper. Not that it was, but you know that was kind of the initial to maybe thinking there was going to be very little to now that the Delta news, uh, Delta variant news has become a little bit more pronounced. And Powell was relatively dismissive of the Delta risk at the July FOMC. There there is definitely a camp within the market that now expects uh, Powell to outline a little bit more uh, COVID Delta risk at the uh, at the Jackson Hole, at his Jackson Hole speech, which I believe is going to be on Friday, so that is uh, you know something you know something to watch. And obviously, if he delves into the the Delta story uh, significantly and, and paints it as a significant risk, it's going to be a pretty um, pretty dovish event, sure. uh, especially given a lot of the talk that we've had from uh, a, a number of the Fed presidents. One thing that's kind of got people talking is that um, Dallas Fed President uh, Kaplan was probably one of the more hawkish members of the committee. Um, on uh, la- Last week, uh, spoke about uh, Delta in a way uh, as suggesting that there could be uh, risks to uh, his outlook, and he may need to um, you know, not not be as constructive on uh, on things going forward. If if you know, with a lot of caveats, if Delta ends up being a significant issue for uh, you know for the economy and society, we really hadn't seen a lot on that from some of the hawkish members. And you know, it's one person, uh, but a few people within the market have latched onto that and said, "Okay, this is a bit of a this is clearly a placeholder ahead of um, ahead of uh, Powell's speech at Jackson Hole." Uh, in the coming days, it, 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 rem- it remains to be seen, um, but that—that's clearly what the market is—is is thinking right now. Uh, if if Powell does do that, I mean, we are going to see, uh, I think, a, a pretty significant market move here. Okay. Um, all these people that piled into the, into long dollars, U.S. dollars, uh, are going to probably look to exit that relatively quickly, and uh, I would say that. Um, you know, the front end of the curve is going to come down uh, a fair bit uh, as well, uh, particularly the five-year space. Um, so it'll be, uh, it'll be quite, it, it, would, it would potentially have a, a significant impact. But that's what I'm expecting from, uh, from Jackson Hole. There will be a lot of uh, media there and the, a lot of the district Fed presidents will be there as well as um, uh, a lot of people uh, there and virtually, I believe. Uh, so there'll be a lot of headlines, I think, around that. And you'll see a lot from potentially a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, some hawkish commentary from some of the district Fed presidents, but the, the, uh, the Powell speech, I think will be quite, quite interesting. So, you know, we continue to be, uh, short duration. Uh, I wouldn't say massively short duration, but short duration versus the benchmark across, uh, most of our port, most of our portfolios. Um, and, uh, we still like duration, uh, in, in the Chinese government bond space. And, uh, still like having some EM exposure, particularly in some of the high yielders, uh, like I was, like I was mentioning earlier. Um, so we do continue to see, you know, kind of over the medium term, which I would say is a short medium term kind of in the next six to nine months, we still like, uh, seeing yields uh, rise higher, but we, you know, versus where we were maybe six weeks ago, we've cut some of our, uh, short duration versus, uh, versus benchmark a little bit. Although again, still remain uh, short duration, um, versus the benchmark overall. Um, so, yeah, so we'll uh, leave it with that.
0: Great. Well, Dustin, thanks for, for spending the time. Really appreciate the insights. We'll see uh, later on this week uh, how the, uh, your thoughts on Jackson Hole, how it shapes out. And I look to have, it, uh, have you back to discuss uh, that and more, I'm sure.
1: That sounds great. Thanks again for having me.
0: Take care. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes, and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein.